Welcome and thank you for joining us today at The Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. The Bread of Life is a program of the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions church fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you go to our website, breadoflifeboise.org, you'll find links to our radio archives, our overseas ministry, and to our local ministry here in Boise. Your support of this broadcast makes it possible. Today, we consider the nature of imprecatory psalms. Those are psalms in which the one writing the psalm is crying out a curse against another, or they're crying out for justice against an enemy. They're hard psalms to deal with for two reasons, as we'll speak about at the start of this message. The first reason is because we don't want to identify with their vengeful spirit. And the second reason they're hard to deal with is because too often we do. So here is the problem with these psalms. It's hard for us to identify with them or we feel ashamed when we can't identify with them. I read an imprecation, I think I just really can't identify with this right now. Or I feel really bad because I can't identify with it. I feel like, boy, I'm really identifying with this. I really do want all my enemies destroyed. And then you feel bad about it, right? So the real question here is, personally, how do we identify with these psalms of imprecation? How do we identify with their harshness? the severity and the savage spirit that's expressed within them and that they reflect. So that's the first question we're going to have to answer. There's two other questions, and that is, how do we take these psalms and make them songs to pray and prayers to sing? If that's what the psalms are, how do we take a psalm of imprecation and make it a song that I pray up before God and a prayer that I can sing before God? And obviously, the other question is, how in the world can I find Christ in such vengeful oaths? How do I find the Lord Jesus Christ in the Psalms of imprecation? My idea here is, let's start here first, because if we can find Christ here, I think we can find him anywhere in the Psalms. If we can find him in these, let me note something for you first. It's this, that the cry for vengeance found in these Psalms is not a remnant of some Old Testament passion that has passed away and has no relevance in the gospel of Jesus Christ or a New Testament age. That's the suggestion oftentimes that has been made in the past, that these somehow express a territorial God that was a part of the Old Testament, but that God has changed and we have come to a better understanding of who God really is, or they express an economy of God at that day and age when men were under the law, but now we're under the grace, and these don't fit, and so really... The suggestion here is that these psalms have been passed away because they reflect an old dispensation, an old economy, that they've gone away with the advent of truth and grace that's been found in Jesus Christ. And so in a sense, what we're to understand is that these psalms are kind of unchristian, that they're not really spiritual, and so we can set them aside. A couple things we need to say about that. First is this. God's Word is a living Word, and it's a whole in itself. And you cannot pit one part of the Bible against another part of the Bible. What you can do is you can throw your misunderstanding of one part of the Bible against your misunderstanding of another part of the Bible, but then what you have is you have a conflict between Tweedledee and Tweedledum. That's your problem. But you cannot square off the Bible against itself. If you find a contradiction and you worry them against one another, you're only worrying your own misunderstandings, your own ignorance. The Word of God can't be pitted against itself. The other thing you need to understand is this. The New Testament does not go soft on sin or on sinners. 
And the New Testament certainly is not a book in which you cannot find the wrath of God and the judgment of God passed against sin. God's own vengeful oaths are found here. It's John the Baptist right at the very beginning of the Gospels who spoke to those who were coming to them, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath of God? The note that signaled right at the very beginning as you open up the New Testament. It was at the very beginning of the New Testament church that Peter spoke to Ananias and Sapphira who came in and tried to deceive everybody by thinking that they were giving this complete and total 100% gift of something their property they had sold to the church, but they were holding a large portion back, but they wanted all the praise of the church and accepted that they were giving something completely out of the goodness of their hearts. Peter said to them, your money perish with you. He said it to them just moments before they both dropped to the floor dead in judgment by God. That's in the early church, at the advent of the church's witness of the gospel. It's the author of Hebrews who writes this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 31. You might want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 31. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It was Jesus, by the way, who on multiple occasions is found pronouncing woe. The most scurliest passages found in all of Scripture are those passages of Scripture in which Christ is pronouncing woe upon the scribes and the Pharisees. They are almost every sentence begins with the word woe. It is a declaration of judgment is coming down upon your head. He pronounced woe on Chorazon and Bethsaida and Capernaum, saying because they had turned away from his own light in their presence that it would be worse for them in the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre. It was Jesus Christ who said, and this is just one taste of his own imprecations. In Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the Gospels, that's the Epistles, that's found in the early church in the book of Acts. You go to the very end of the book, to the book of Revelation, at the end of the church age, here's what you find. You find there before the throne of God, the prayers of the saints going up in Revelation 6 verse 10. And this is what the prayers of the saints who have been martyred for their faith say, and they're being martyred today, they're being martyred today around the world, more than ever before. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The truth is, one commentator has said this, that the expressions of God's wrath against sin in the New Testament are more explicit, more solemn, more terrible than those in the Old Testament. To whom much has been given, Jesus said, much will be required. The age of grace intensifies, intensifies the outcome of judgment for those who turn away from that grace. We have to understand that. 
Here's another thing we need to note. It's this. I want you to note that these cries of judgment reflect something that is found in the nature of all people. These imprecations express something that is in the nature of every human being, which is an ache for justice. When we think that justice has been grievously offended, we particularly have an instinct within us that wants a recompense. We long for it, and it's in the human nature to desire this. Now, this instinct in human nature gets distorted. We don't get it right because our sense of justice is when something offends us and our kin and those close to us, and we have a skewed idea of what's been unjust because we have a skewed idea of our own guilt. But it's within us. It's an instinct that rises within us. Here's a quote from a professor named B.B. Edwards from 1844. I'll try to explain this a little bit more to you, but focus, all right? Pay attention to this quote here. These passages, speaking of the imprecations, these songs of imprecation, these passages are justified, they're explained by a primary and innocent feeling in our nature. In other words, this is not something that's necessarily sin within us. This is something that rises from it that has a just or positive ground within our lives. He'll argue, I won't give you the whole quote, but he'll argue that these instincts are what actually preserve and protect societies because God has given us an instinct for justice. Something primary and innocent in our nature. It is an expression of the principle of our nature that fills us with resentment against atrocious crimes and demands their punishment and can't be stilled or quieted until the well-being of the criminal has been disturbed in some proportion to the energy, the injury that he's inflicted on the individual or society. In other words, we want the criminal to be punished, and we want his crime to be punished commensurate to the damage that he's caused. And if it doesn't happen, we don't have a settled sense of justice within ourselves. This expression is found in us of indignation which is outraged nature that must have its vent. You know what it is, to feel indignant. It burns within you, and you can't hold it in. Another expression is compassion for the injured party. We have an instinctive pity for weakness that is crushed into the dust, for innocence that has been portrayed and violated. That's another thing that gives rise to this experience of expression of imprecation. We're angry when we see something that's innocent and weak that's taken advantage of. It's another instinct here. The chief expression is the sense of justice. When an atrocity goes unpunished, we feel justice has been defrauded its dues. While the crime remains unpaid for, we have a feeling of insecurity. Delay only adds to its intensity. When you see something that's severely wrong, you, you don't feel better over time. It bothers you more and more. It's just pending. It's just pending and you're waiting for it. When a great outrage has been perpetuated, nothing will calm the aggravation of our moral nature but the infliction of penalty. And what we crave as an irrepressible instinct of our moral nature, we will at times express in our language. That's how come we have imprecations. You crave justice. You're indignant at wrong. You feel a sense of pity for this innocent that have been inflicted upon. And at some point in time, you got to say something about it. And so you cry out to God, how long, God? Until justice rolls down from the heavens upon the mountains and the mountains melt as wax before the justice of God. Before you tread down the winepress of your wrath upon an offending world. It's in human nature. They don't necessarily turn to God for it. Usually what they do is they take it up in their own hands. 
They take up their sense of injustice and they create conflicts and wars. Oh, by that way, that's where we get it wrong. We get it wrong because we don't really know what's unjust entirely. Because we don't know what's just. We know something's wrong, but we don't have enough information to know really what's wrong and why it went wrong and what the real crime is because we can't see perfectly. Secondly, we don't know what real right would look like because we look at things from a crooked place ourselves because we're crooked in sin. But something in us tells us something's not right. And something in us longs for things to be right. And unfortunately, we, we usually respond by not prayers of imprecation, but by acts in which we try to be the agent of that wrath ourselves. That's where we get wrong. Actually, the Psalms teach us not to do that. The Psalms teach us to turn to God and lay that all on God's, into God's hands instead. Do you remember when you first daydreamed of vengeance? I mean, do you remember when that first happened? It usually happened when you were a young kid in school and you were offended by someone stole your lunch money and you spent the rest of the afternoon thinking how you were going to get them back for it. It roils within us and it's something that God has put in us actually. Our understanding of what is just or unjust, as we've said, is distorted. As a result, though, we are not to take it into our hands. Still, there is a song to sing for vengeance and a prayer to place before God for vengeance. But this song and this prayer are to be placed at His feet. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.